Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. I wanted to talk about some Christmas traditions this morning. Can you believe Christmas is two weeks today? I just scared some of you. Two weeks today, unbelievable. You wait for all year, and then before you know it, bam, it's just, it's here. And so, as I was preparing for this message, and today we're continuing in, in the, uh, the Good News series, and we're talking about hunger, about being hungry, and there's different types of hunger. You know, we're going to talk about the physical hunger, and there's emotional hunger, and there's mental hunger. There's all kinds of different types of hunger. But I began thinking about Christmas traditions, and just wondering in this church that's reflective of so many people from all over the world, we probably have a lot of different traditions. Now, where I grew up, uh, or actually where I was born, on one of the islands of Portugal, Santa Claus came in a very different way than he does here in North America. Now, let me see, anybody here from the Caribbean? Can I see your hands? Okay. Does Santa Claus come to the Caribbean? No, too hot? Too hot? Yeah. In the first service, somebody said that he wore a Speedo. I just, that's <laughs> almost derailed the entire service. Uh, <laughs> anybody uh, from India? Does Santa Claus come to India? No? Doesn't go to India? Okay. Well, he comes to Portugal, but he comes in a very limited kind of a way. And, you know, when you grow up with a tradition and it's all you know, I mean, hey, it's all you know. It's the best one because you have nothing to compare it against. But where I come from, like, there weren't houses like you would consider houses here today. They're more like glorified sheds. They were very, very simple, and there was no chimney. So, of course, Santa Claus couldn't come down the chimney. So the way that we would invite Santa into the house is we would put our shoes on the stove. Nothing says Christmas like that, right? Uh, No Christmas trees, no decorations, no wreaths, no stockings over the fireplace, nothing like that. Just a shoe on the stove. And uh, we got the same gift every year, and I thought it was awesome. Until I started talking to my white Canadian friends and realized I was getting hosed year after year. That Santa was really getting by with not doing much around the Amaral household. And uh, so you'd put your shoe on the stove. And here's the awesome thing in the Portuguese Santa. doesn't matter if you're good or bad. Everybody gets the exact same gift. Everybody gets the same gift. And it's, it's a sock with an orange inside the sock. Yeah. Wow, right? Stuffed into the front and then a bag of marbles. And I got that every Christmas until, uh, pretty much until I got married. So, <laughs> so we all have different Christmas traditions, and maybe your nativity scene looks like that one. Maybe it looks like something else. Later on, I'm going to show you uh, a more modern rendition of what a nativity set might look like if it was done today. What would Mary and Joseph do? Uh, how would the wise men show up? 
And the one thing I really liked about the video is that they were called wise men and not kings. And in fact, the actual, the true word is they were called astronomers, these, these magi, these magi. And if you heard me speak last year, we talked about the story in the stars. Do you remember that? Yeah. And the wise men that followed the star, these astronomers who had spent generations studying patterns and movements of celestial objects and then compiling the information and realizing that the universe was declaring that a very important individual was to be born. And we're going to do that next year. Again, we're going to kind of do a whole new series on the story in the stars. But suffice it to say that everybody does Christmas a little bit differently. And the truth is, is that we have to hold on to Christmas as the church. Other holidays, we've let go. I don't know why we did it. I don't know when we did it, but we did it. We've compromised on some of the biggest Christian and biblical holidays. And one that breaks my heart is Passover or Easter. We've lost that one to the world. When you talk to a child in in grade school about, about Easter, very few of them will mention a cross and a resurrection, but they'll quickly talk to you about rabbits and, and Easter eggs. And so we as the church have done, I think, a poor job in hanging on to these. And this is one. This seems to be one holiday, at least this time of the year, where people will listen a little bit more than normal. I don't know if you found that. But Christmas seems to be a time where we can talk a little more than what we're used to. And so we as the church, guys, we need to encourage this. We need to hang on to this. Um, Christmas is a time of the year that we as the church can utilize to declare and to share our faith. Now, I've done a lot of traveling. And before I came here, I spent maybe eight or nine months of the year on the road. And I went to all kinds of different countries. And I saw Christmas in different parts of the world. And everywhere, they celebrate it differently. And um, this morning, I was in... I don't know if I can say this because it's being broadcast. There was a certain uh, coffee shop here uh, that you give them some bucks and there's something about a star. But um, <clears throat> that has generally, you know, not been overly supportive of, of Christmas and Christianity. And whenever I'd go to Southeast Asia, whether it was Singapore or Hong Kong or, or Malaysia even especially, when I got there, they wouldn't let me go to this store. I wasn't allowed to buy coffee at this store because, you know, they were anti-Christian and they supported various lifestyles that maybe other people didn't agree with. And could you imagine flying 19 hours and not be allowed to have a grande bold? I mean, it's just, it's an injustice. But we, we do it anyways. Uh, this morning, I was at this coffee shop, and they were playing Christmas carols. And I was amazed. And I said, wow, Lord, even in this place that seems to be so anti, here they are playing the first Noel. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. But even during this time of the year, that there are still people who are willing to give the Christmas message a shot, and we need to do our part and make sure we present that. So we're going to talk about people who are suffering and struggling with different kinds of hunger. One of the ladies here on the worship team mentioned something that really struck me, and I talked about it in the first service as well, is that this Christmas might be different for, for various people, because Events in their lives have changed from last year to this year. And people are going to be going through, through different levels of frustration, of depression, of sadness, some even anger. And we're so quick to judge people when they act 
a certain way around the holidays, but we really don't know what's going on in our person's life. And I want to address that in a moment. And so we want to talk about these different kinds of hunger. And our key message today, we're going to take it from Mark chapter 6, verses 31 through 34. There's three things that we can take away. There's a lot more we can, but we're going to start with these three. And then we'll we'll just kind of get through this. So Mark chapter 6, verse 31 34. This is a story of disciples. Disciples were not angels. Disciples were not perfect men. Disciples were not these holier-than-thou, incredible men. You know what they were? Normal. They were people. And if Jesus was here today, he would call people just like us. He most likely wouldn't go after the, the most educated and the most popular and the most famous. He just takes the average guy. And one of his disciples is a guy that we call Matthew. But before he was known as Matthew, his, his Jewish name was Levi from the tribe of, of the Levites. And Levi, or Matthew, he was a tax collector. Do you remember that from the stories? Now, tax collectors were not people's favorite people. They were considered to be crooks. They were considered to be enemies of the people because today, when it's time to pay your taxes, it's actually a very simple process. There's some confusing elements to it, but in general, I make this much, I pay this much, right? And I know that people at Portico and people watching at home, you guys love to pay your taxes, amen? Wow, that was the quietest amen in the history of church. But today, we know how to pay our taxes. But back then, it was different. If I was the tax collector in charge of Capernaum, and you came to me, if I wanted to make a little extra money, all I'd do, I I would bump up the level of your equity. So instead of saying, he makes $100,000 a year, I would say, oh, he makes $160,000 a year. And I would take the tax on 100000 and give it to the Romans, and the tax on the sixty, I would keep it and pocket it for myself. So they were a very corrupt people, and very, very disliked by the local population. And so when Jesus goes and picks a tax collector, you can imagine how the people reacted to this. You're the Messiah, you're the Son of God, and these are the kinds of people that you're going to surround yourself with? And he says, yep. That's exactly who I'm going to surround myself with because the truth is it's the sick who need the doctor and it's not the well. And so whenever you read a passage, guys, that involves money, keep in mind that they have a tax collector among them who doesn't like to give away things for free. And that factors into the story, and it starts here in Mark 6, 31, 34. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus, he said to them, hey, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and let's get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. And this this is such a beautiful passage you know, Jesus could have been, he could have been taken back by how well his ministry was doing. He could have been taken back by the fact that he was the newest rabbi on the block, on this preaching trail, and his crowds were 10 times bigger than the rabbi next to him. Jesus could have been enamored or caught up with the fact 
of how many followers he had on Facebook and on Twitter and how many retweets he got. He could have been enamored and focused on all of his popularity. He could have said, wow, look how many followers I have. But when he saw the large crowds, you know what he did? He had compassion on them. He saw them and he said, oh God, look at all these people. Not, yay, they're following me, but God, all these people, they're lost. They're broken. And he says he had compassion because they were like sheep who were without a shepherd. See, that's what he was concerned with. And sometimes we get so caught up with the experience. We get so caught up with how well things are going that we forget the very people that we're trying to minister to. And Jesus gives us this wonderful example. It's not about the crowds. It's about the hearts. It's about people. You know, he said they were like sheep without a shepherd. That translation gets lost in North America. I know it gets lost in Mississauga. You probably didn't see too many sheep on your way in today to church, did you? Anybody pass any shepherds out in the fields? Not very many. And so that gets lost on us. But that language in that day was very meaningful because if the sheep were just out there and they didn't have a shepherd, they were unprotected. They were prey. Wolves could have come. Lions could have come and attacked them and destroyed them. They could have gotten lost. They could have fallen off a cliff. They could have drowned. So many things could happen to them. The sheep need the shepherd. And when he, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, saw the people He had compassion on them. And the Bible says he began to teach them many things. And so from this verse, from Mark 6, 31, 34, we're going to take three things, like I said, that we're going to kind of unpack a little bit. And the first is this, okay? That experiences often distract us from pressing needs. So experiences often distract us from pressing needs. Now, you can fill this in in your bulletins if you're here. If you're at home, you can go online and download our Portico app, and you can follow along there. And we have the blanks there that you can fill out, and you can save them and share them and print them off as well. So what what does this mean? This means that sometimes, guys, we get so caught up in the fireworks, in the spectacle of what's going on, that we forget why we're doing it in the first place. The whole reason why Jesus had to leave where he was was because the crowds were so big. Things were going so well. And he could have so easily focused on the success. He could have focused in on the amount of people. He could have focused in on so many things. But instead of allowing himself to get distracted of the needs of the people, he decided to do something about it. And please know that when I'm preaching this this morning, that I'm, I'm preaching this to myself as well. How many times on the way into church, on the way into event, we see somebody begging for money or we see somebody we know who needs an ear. I've even had people in line and kind of felt like I should say something, but what do I do? I said, God, I gotta get to church. Lord, I can't be late. There's three services waiting for me. And we give so many excuses, don't we? And so please, when I share with you this morning, don't feel like I'm beating anybody up. I'm preaching this to myself as well. And so we get so caught up in the moment that we can't see the forest for the tree. You guys heard that saying before, right? See, I didn't know what it meant. I didn't grow up in an educated 
uh, community or environment. My parents came as poor immigrants from Portugal. We lived across the street from a junkyard in downtown Toronto. All my neighbors were prostitutes and drug dealers and gang, and gang members. I didn't know I was poor. I just thought that's how everybody lived. And so I didn't know about these sayings. I didn't even know Santa Claus gave give gifts for crying out loud. So, I mean, imagine. And it wasn't until later that I, I learned what that meant, that you can't see the forest for the tree. And, you know, we get so close to a situation. We get so focused on what we want to focus on that we can't see the mass forest that's behind us. And we all do that sometimes. And the events, they're big and they're loud and they're wonderful and they're like fireworks, you know? Who doesn't like a fireworks show? We love the fireworks. They're loud. They're filled with color. Wow, they make great patterns and they entertain us. But you know what? When the smoke settles, they're gone. They don't last. And sometimes that's how we do ministry. That's how we live our Christian lives. We go from event to event, from big thing to big thing. But we're not growing because the moment the experience is over, so does our commitment. And God's not calling us to be these firework kind of Christians who move from experience to experience. But he wants us to be more like that log that's on the fire that burns all night, that gives heat, that gives protection, that you can make food on. That's what God wants us to be. You know, there's all kinds of of different types of, of hunger in this world, and especially during this time, one of the most difficult seasons for people. This Christmas might be different for you. This Christmas might be different for somebody who's, who's watching at home or listening to this podcast as they drive to school or work. Maybe this is your first Christmas since a loved one has passed away. For some people, this is your first Christmas that you're single. You went through a, a hurtful and a terrible divorce last year, and this is your first Christmas, and you're wondering, am I going to make it? Am I going to be okay? And while there are a lot of good things about Christmas, the truth is that we really struggle sometimes. And people develop all kinds of depression and anxiety and fear during this time. You know, just let me go back for a second to this whole concept of, of fireworks. You know, how we, we love the mob mentality. Now, I'm going to confess something to you here that I probably shouldn't confess publicly, but I'm going to do it anyways, okay? I'm a terrible Canadian. Let me tell you why I don't like hockey. I know. I know. I don't like baseball. I, I don't like what we call American football. And this is probably my biggest transgression of all. I, I don't like bacon. <laughs> Thank you for coming out this morning. <laughs> Pastor Doug say, don't slam Tim Hortons. Just leave that one alone. <laughs> But it's true, I'm not into any of those things. You know, in growing up in my culture, in the Portuguese culture, one of the things that, we're, that we love is we love soccer. That's kind of our sport. Anybody else here like soccer? Yeah. All right, it's a few of you. At birth, we're actually given a soccer ball, and we carry that with us. Uh, a few years ago, four years ago, I got this email from a pastor, and he said, hey, would you come and preach in the UK? And I said, yeah, sure. 
Uh, but where in the UK specifically? And the, the pastor said, oh, uh, we're in England. I said, okay, that's great. Uh, where in England are you? And they said, oh, we're in Manchester. And I went, wow, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. <laughs> and I said, hey, you know what? I said, I may never get back to Manchester. I'm a big fan of Manchester United, okay? That's my, my soccer team. And I wanted to get in to see a game. It's very hard to get tickets unless you're local. And so I said to the church, I'll pay whatever amount of money needs to be paid, but can I just get in to see one game? That would be like a dream come true for me at the actual soccer stadium. And they wrote back and they said, don't worry, Pastor Joe, we'll take care of it for you. I said, no, 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 no. You're already covering my flight and you're paying me to come and you're you know, giving me a place to stay and you're feeding me. No, no, no. I'll, no, no, no. We got it. No, no, no. Emails back and forth. This is how I type, by the way. And so we're emailing back and forth, and they finally said, listen, we don't tell this to too many people, but our pastor is actually the chaplain for Manchester United. (laughs) And again, the Holy Spirit spoke, and I got on the plane, and I went in, and here I am, right? Here I am with 70,000 Brits cheering for this game, and I said, God, Although it's a great experience. I'm so glad I went and I'll I'll never forget it. But I said, Lord, is this just another fireworks experience? Or God, even when I'm in the tunnel getting ready to go into the stadium, maybe when I'm waiting for a cab to leave this place, is there somebody you want me to minister to? And we always have to look for those moments. Even in the fireworks moments, friends, we got to look for those moments where God is speaking to you. Have you ever had that still small voice speak to you? And you say, Lord, I don't know, is that you? Is that me? I'm really busy. And so many times I've acted on that little voice, and it's amazing what's happened. Somebody said, oh, thank you for calling. I prayed and asked God for somebody to call me today, that if he loved me, somebody would email me today. And just that little text or that note, it totally changed your day. God is calling us in the midst of this fireworks experience called Christmas. He's calling us to be sensitive to the leading of his voice. He's calling us to be compassionate for the crowds. We have 5,000 people coming through this church this weekend. God, can I minister to one Thank you for the numbers, Lord. Thank you that it's full. But God, is there someone that you want me to minister to? That's the prayer I want you to have as you go through this entire Christmas season. So people are going through emotional hunger. They're starving for attention. They're starving for someone just to reach out and say, I care. And then there are other people who are struggling and going through physical through physical hunger, and, and one hope, part of what we're doing is we're raising thousands of pounds of food for shelters in our city, here and in Milton. We're filling up socks with toiletries to give to the homeless on Christmas Eve. We're sponsoring children in Africa, in northern India. I mean, it's amazing what we're able to do. There's a lot of physical needs. And there's a stat that I, I found in preparing for the message, and it's this, that there are one in seven people in Mississauga that will go to bed hungry tonight. One in seven people in this great city, in the GTA. And so there's all kinds of hunger. And one of the other hungers that we overlook sometimes, I think, is that there's a spiritual hunger in this world. People are hungry. They are searching. Whether it's Eastern religions, it might be Islam, um, Hinduism, Buddhism, atheism, people are searching for something. 
And so often, my goodness, we're so afraid to share because we're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of the reaction that that person is going to have. And sometimes we think people know more than they actually do. When we get together as Christians, we speak a common language. You know what it's called? Christianese. Christianese. We speak it to ourselves and we all know what it is, but you go out into the real world and they said, what are you talking about? God is calling us to speak the language that the people need. You know, some of you know that I also, I host on 100 Huntley Street and for the Christmas season, we sent out a cameraman and he went downtown to Nathan Phillips Square and he set up a camera and he just began to ask questions and we were talking about the nativity scene and people said, what's the nativity scene? In Toronto, in 2016, people were asking, what's the nativity scene? And we had to explain what it meant. And so that video, although it was comical in some ways, people don't even know what that is. And people have a, a perception of the nativity scene. And I was, I was wondering, what would the nativity look like today? You ever thought about that? With social media and the internet and how high-end and high-tech our culture is today, I wonder what the nativity scene would look like today. Well, you're in luck. I can show you. Do you want to see what one would look like today? Okay, for the guy over here who said yes. This is called the Hipster Nativity Set, and it sells for $129. U.S. Let's go ahead and show them that first slide. <laughs> so this is called the Hipster nativity set. And if you look, they're they're very environmentally friendly and conscious, okay? And they're very cautious. On top of the manger, you'll notice that there's there's a solar panel there. You see it there on the left side? Let's go ahead and zoom in on the next picture. There's... There's Joseph, you know, taking a selfie, hashtag Christ is born. Mary giving the peace sign with a soy frappuccino in her hand. He's wearing his khakis, okay? Uh, The next picture is hilarious. Here we have the three wise men. They're coming in on segways. (laughs) And they've ordered their gold, frankincense, and myrrh at Amazon.com and got free shipping. Yeah, that will save your marriage, Amazon.com. You can find everything. Guys, you can find everything for your wife with free shipping. It's amazing. Here, the, the, the final picture. I love this one, okay? The cow is stamped 100% organic, okay? And, of course, the cow is eating gluten-free feed, of course. And the sheep's wearing an ugly Christmas sweater, and my favorite is the shepherd. He's not looking up at the sky, but he's watching the angelic proclamation on YouTube on his iPad. (laughs) That is a very modern hipster nativity set. And so everybody sees Christmas differently. And so experiences often distract us from our pressing needs. Let us not be distracted from the call. Let's see the people for what they are, sheep who are lost who need a shepherd. Second thing, real quick, is that we learn from this verse is that we exempt ourselves from being part of the solution. 
so often we exempt ourselves from being part of the solution. And this, this gets picked up in, in Mark 6. In the first part, they know there's a crowd. Jesus is the only one who decides to do something about it. He starts teaching them. But as the story continues, it comes up to this in Mark 6, 35, 36. It says that by this time it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him and said, Lord, this is a remote place, and it's very late. He was saying, guys, there's nothing around here. There's no square one. There's no Aaron Mills Town Center. We're like in the middle of nowhere, the disciples are telling Jesus. And they said, let us send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something or find something to eat. And so here the disciples are trying to excuse themselves when Jesus is saying, no, you're going to be a part of the solution. The disciples were saying, hang on a second, we know who you are. Can't you like just snap your fingers and happy meals appear for like everybody? Can't that just happen? They wanted to exempt themselves from actually doing something and being a part of the solution. And we all do this. And again, I'm preaching to myself, and it's just Joe talking to you this morning. We go to the grocery store, and there's the Salvation Army guy, Salvation Army guy ringing the bell. And we want him just to stop ringing that darn bell. So we throw a dollar in the kettle, and we go home feeling great. I've changed the world. I've given my dollar, and so we exempt ourselves from the solution. Or we'll come to a One Hope concert at Portico, and we'll bring a can of food. And we'll say, oh, I did my part. And we're thankful. Somebody will not starve because of that can. But there's more that we can do. We want to just give a token amount, you know. There's a, there's a parable of a king who was getting ready for a huge feast, and he commissioned all of his leaders, and he said, I want all of you to bring a large jug of wine to the feast tonight. We're going to have a large container everybody's going to pour into, and it's almost kind of like a, like a potluck, but just for the wine for the entire community. And so everybody laughed, and the one guy went home, and he said, you know, this isn't fair. I know that that noble makes more money than I do, why do I have to give the same amount of wine as him? We can't really afford to. So they came up with this plan, and they said, listen, there's hundreds of people pouring jugs into that, into that big pit. What if we just pour, we'll fill ours with water, and we'll pour it into the pit? Who's going to know? How can one jug of water affect the entire vat of wine, right? Is that a good plan? That's what they thought. So they went to the to the feast, and the king pronounced, it was time to begin. Everybody dip their glasses and enjoy. And that one man who put in the water, he took his cup and he put it into the big vat and he, he went to take a big sip, and guess what? It was pure water. See, because every man fought like the first. We'll say to ourselves, well, I don't have to give in the offering the church will make budget. There's a lot of wealthy people in our community. I don't have to do it. You know what will happen if we all think like that? The offering plates will be empty. The money won't be raised. The food won't be bought. The people won't be reached. Let's not be like that man, right? But let us all do our part. And finally, as we come to this third part of the message 
<clears throat> Jesus says in Matthew 25, 43, 45, and this is heavy. He says, I was a stranger, and you didn't even invite me in. I needed clothes, and you didn't clothe me. I was sick, and I was in prison, and you didn't even look after me. And then they're going to answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or, or thirsty or, or a stranger or needing clothes or sick in prison, and we didn't help you? We never saw you like that. And Jesus will say, truly, I tell you that whatever you did not do, that's heavy. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you didn't do it for me. And although that's heavy, here's the good news, guys. And this is the third point in our outline, is that he has empowered you to meet the needs. He has empowered you to meet the needs. The story finishes in Mark 6, 37 and 38. After he saw the crowds and he had compassion, and after they said, let's send them away, what does Jesus say? He says, no, you give them something to eat. You do it. And they said, how can we do it? It's going to take like a year and a half's wages to feed all these people. And he said, okay, well, what do you have then? Well, we got a couple of fish and a few pieces of bread. And Jesus says, that'll do. He says, I will use what's in your hand. Sometimes we say, well, I don't have a million dollars. I don't have a big enough house. I don't have, I don't have, and so I can't. That's not true. God says, what do you have? Well, I got a couple of loonies. I'll, I'll use that. I'll use that. When he spoke to Moses, Moses, who felt like he was the most unqualified leader in the history of leading, he says, God, I can't do it. And God says, well, what do you have in your hand? Well, I have a staff. That'll do. That staff will become a snake and eat the snakes of the pharaohs. That staff will call down plagues. That staff will part waters. That staff will deliver a people. God says, Joe, God says, Fill in your name here. Fill in your name at home, wherever you are. God says, just give me what you have in your hands and watch what I will do with it. If we all do our part, we can make a difference. We can help the Mississauga Food Bank to raise 5,000 pounds of food. We can watch Wild Christmas sponsor a child in Africa with supplies and a uniform for a year. We can give the gift of education. We can help in the Mukti village in northern India. We can help the Milton Community Resource Center. We can help Cornerstone fill socks with toiletries to give to those who don't have a home this holiday season. Portico, we can all do something if we simple, simply will give him what we have. Would you do that this holiday season? Would we remove ourselves going from firework to firework experience and say, God, I want to do something more. I want to make a contribution of substance. Lord, I'll slow down. I'll see the people. I'll see the crowds. Help me to have compassion like you do. God, I will stop. I will talk to that one. I'll be late if I have to, but I'll talk to that one. God, use me this season. Would you do that this season? Why don't we stand together? I just want to pray with you as we, as we dismiss. Lord, thank you for this time. God, thank you for your word. That you are interested in people. 
not just in numbers and in crowds, but you're interested in names. You're interested in individuals. And God, I pray that we wouldn't make excuses this season, that we would desire to be used of you and by you and for you. Help us to be people of faith who would stand firm in our faith, but not just be those who say it with our mouth, for faith without works is dead. Help us, O oh God, to put actions to what we believe, especially this holiday season. Lord, as we go, may your blessing, your favor rest on us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Have a great afternoon.